Yo. Yo. <laughs> All right. Why don't you uh, Why don't you go first? Okay. 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 Um. So I. This is not a get rid of, but I sort of. Uh. This is sort of a preemptive something I want to keep. Um. Which is that. Well, of course, this time is you know horrible. Uh. And all these awful things are happening right now. Um. There are some really amazing. Uh discoveries that I'm seeing that people do right now that I just like really hope when we get out of this, um, that we'll be able to somehow hold on to them. Like there's the, the, like the connection with people who living in all kinds of different places feels Mm. so exciting and so cool. Um, and like that also it's tied, of course, I think to the fact that sort of like everyone right now is going through at least one thing that is similar even though it manifests differently for everybody you know what i mean but um mm-hmm. so i just think that like it would be really cool to continue like the i don't know like the fact that you know it could do uh yeah that the, a good friend of mine who lives in the uk is who's like learning to be a yoga instructor is like doing daily yoga stuff and like you could just join from anywhere from your home you know what i mean and like maybe it's also about the fact that like i if if that was possible like i could go to i could have gone to yoga anytime in my in the life before the pandemic but like i didn't uh and so maybe it's about like the ease at which some of these connections are accessible now um you know of like you can do all these things from home because we have to do them from home that we're sort of discovering that um and so so i just would love to like that sense of connection to people who are not where you are uh, mm. would be a really, really beautiful thing to just like hang on to, uh, once this is over. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I also feel like there's an, another component of that, which is that I feel like it's created the impetus to reach out to people who like mm-hmm. in the, it, when you're caught up in sort of an everyday routine, you're thinking one, you just started kind of getting into this idea that they're not that these people that you don't normally speak to all the time, that they like that you can't really fit into your schedule mm-hmm. reaching out to them because they're not like close friends. But also, generally speaking, this idea that they are fine mm-hmm. kind of also helps you avoid talking to them like talking to them tomorrow would be no different than talking to them today. Mm-hmm. And so then talking to them a year from now is obviously no different from talking to them tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I I think people are also reaching out to more people that they see on Instagram or Facebook and go, oh, man, you know, I, I miss them. I'd love to reach out to them. But, oh, you know, we're not super friends now, so they might not really want to talk to me or be able to talk to me right now and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. People are reaching out to those people more. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I just wanna, I want to keep that when we when we move nice. forward. Nice. Yeah. How about you? Um so I am as we as you and I have spoken privately, mm-hmm. um today marks my first podcast having returned to New York City. Welcome back. Um yeah, so I mean I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to like 
not have anything to do but work. I mean, something that was great. Like, it was great that there was the free time that I had, but what I was consistently kind of frustrated with when I was, when I had fled Mm -hmm. was, you know, this, this inability to, this kind of suspension in time where it was like, you know, if I'm not like reading Harry Potter and walking on the treadmill, it's almost like when it came time to actually sit down and work, it it was like, oh, that, yeah, this is not getting done. And then I would put it down and watch TV or something like that. So there seems to be much, there's less opportunity for that in general. Mm -hmm. And there's less excuse to, to avoid, you know, trying to work on some projects. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm looking forward to that. Mm. Um, But what I noticed immediately upon arriving at my apartment, um, I am, uh, I live across the street from a uh, notable Brooklyn, North Brooklyn establishment, Roberta's Mm -hmm. and it's a pizza place. And they across from the, I live directly across the street from them and they, they've always had a building dedicated to takeout. So they were like primed for this new reality. Mm -hmm. However, I mean, the, the, they're everything that they're doing, it stops at the door. And by what I mean by that is I rolled up and looked to my right, i.e. Roberta's. And there was just like, a small crowd of people bunched up waiting for their orders. Inside? And it's like, no, 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 uh, right outside. outside. Huh. And mm-hmm. it's like, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, first off, it, you know, all those people are exposing themselves to everyone around them. Mm-hmm. And they're exposing the food prepper. Because if you're just one person at a time, you're just less likely to be I mean, really, you're facing the person directly and all of your safety precautions and things, they're they're designed for when you're facing the person directly. They're not designed for when you're when you're getting things from all sides. And then it's just like, I don't understand why they don't have every grocery store in Charleston. And I've not been to a grocery store here yet. Has lines on the floor Mm -hmm. for like when there are like if there is a line to get into the building because they've reduced capacity. Yeah, they have There's that lines here too. on the sidewalk. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so like I don't understand why there isn't why there aren't lines on the sidewalk for Roberta's, especially because they have this giant property right in the middle that's just outdoor space. So they could very easily just line it back so that it weaves back into their property and you don't even get like some long line taking up the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. It's 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 absurd. And then apparently Raymond, my roommate, has told me that it, there's a big problem of uh, them, of people just eating the food on the sidewalk. Mm. And so there's this big pile up of garbage. So, yeah, what I, I want to get rid of mm-hmm. is uh, there's their the stupidity, stupidity with which they're handling the situation. Yeah, I mean, and I think that that's them, but it's most, it's also the people because, like, I, I just noticed, 100%. you know, like right now, it's so funny. I feel like as soon as there's like the feeling of a possible hope for things changing, it's like I've seen so many more people um, just disregarding the rules and like, totally, uh, you know, 
walking with no like not wearing masks anymore like you know hanging out as like a big group on the sidewalk I've just like seen that a lot in the last few days uh, and I wasn't seeing it a week ago here you know and it's mm-hmm. like uh it's it's like I get it yep we all want it to be back to the way it was we want to be done with this but like we're not there yet so you just need to be a little bit more patient otherwise we're just gonna have to do this for longer you know so I feel like right. it also like-, like tied to that is wanting to get rid of the like um false uh, yeah they're, they're like impatient i don't know what the word there's a word i think for this of like uh you know when you it sounded uh, like you were like, going toward false sense of security i guess so but but really like like um uh, like doing something like sort of, it's almost sort of like not seeing the long term like short-term thinking of like or something uh-huh. of like oh maybe like i'll be fi- i'm fine today hooray it's like happening and then like paying for it later Maybe it's sure. the like uh, having a hamburger today uh, and paying for it on Tuesday, I mean, a little Popeye. I mean, like delay, delay gratification. <laughs> yeah, maybe. maybe. Like delaying gratification. Yeah, I, I haven't exactly. Anyways, yeah. Right. But yes. But yeah, it's just bizarre. I mean, it's just like the 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 thing to do is not just long for the day when all this is over. The thing to do is look for how you can create, like a functional like habit and life in the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing to do, mm-hmm. you know, how, how, how can you see friends while being safe? How can you walk mm-hmm. outside while being, being safe? How can you go to the grocery store while being safe? And in the, sh- in, in maybe a month, it'll be like, okay, how can you go to a restaurant while being safe? Mm-hmm. You know, these are all things that like, it's like right. just because, it, yeah, like you said, if you don't do that, then it's just going to tank us back into what life was like five weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, welcome back to New York. <laughs> oh, yeah. So. Uh, should we do this? Let's do this. I'm excited. Uh, welcome to Should We Keep This? The Cultural View podcast. You know I love and it. it must be pop, pop, pop. Well, the real, where we have <laughs> revelations with our time here. It came to us when we tried to look back over the past okay. 50 years of film, music, and television to challenge our nostalgia. It is a virus. Okay. It is a plague, and this podcast is the cure. <laughs> so we must answer the question, are you nervous in the service? I'm Stephen Moskis. And I, I'm Gina Stevenson. And today we're looking at a perfect replica of the old opera house, but who cares? <laughs> oh, that was great. Wait, That's right. Server, what was the service thing? You, I don't re- remember that quote. Oh, uh, are you nervous in the service? It, uh, mm-hmm. It's it's when it's one of the Ruby Road quotes. Ruby Rod, thank t- you. Rod, mm, okay. Um, when he like tries to get a word from Bruce Willis mm, and Bruce it, Willis it, is it. like, uh, Thrilled. Nope. Yeah. Got yeah, it. Got it. Like, got it. Got it. Okay. Cool. Come on. So yeah, we are, Come if on, you, man. if you didn't figure it out, we're talking about the matrix and the fifth element. What a right. week. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What a week. Big what day for movies sci-fi. that are just so different. <laughs> right. This is uh, different, different movies. Um, yeah. The, if this was a, the week of, you know, aside from there being similar genre, which is why we put them together. 
certainly the week of I thought you were a guy and the magic of true love's kiss. Because <laughs> right, <laughs> like key right. plot moments for both hinge on exactly those two things, which is I had never put that together before watching them both. Of like, oh yeah, they're they're very, they're the same movie almost. <laughs> yeah. Really oh funny. wow! Like I totally even forgot about like Trinity. I thought you'd be a guy. Most guys do. Yeah. Oh man, isn't that? Funny? But then also, yeah, yeah, and like True Love's Kiss, making the the chosen one, yeah, have the power to be the chosen one. Exactly. It's the same. And- <laughs> guess what what uh the matrix takes place in 2199 mm. the fifth element takes place in 2214 those are close to each other yeah okay got it those yeah. are incredibly <laughs> close to one another sure, sure. those are <laughs> i if, thought you were gonna somebody... say the same number but i you know it was it's no close. i mean it's close. they're it's close. relatively close yeah, they're they're incredible. they're yeah. they're with well within a single human lifetime somebody Absolutely. born on in 2199 mm-hmm. still can't vote or drink alcohol <laughs> or see a rated r movie so well, we don't know what the close. rules are in the no. 23rd century so you know well i don't know it turned it they seems might be like in both situations very little has changed mm-hmm. shockingly well, little well, has changed for, I, I, might say. I mean i don't know about that i mean in the real world in the real world for them okay well anyways let's get okay let's let's stick to the script here uh, we just are so excited Alrighty. to talk about these movies. Okay, so let's uh, start with The Matrix. I think that's the one we both watched first because we both watched it together on FaceTime. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Okay, so The Matrix this is from 1999. Um, all right. It begins with a chase scene in which a woman named Trinity is cornered by police but quickly overpowers them with superhuman skills. And then she's pursued by a group of mysterious suited agents capable of similar superhuman feats. She answers a ringing telephone and disappears. What? Welcome to the movie. Um, oh. We then meet a computer programmer known by his hacker alias Neo, uh, who's always felt that something is wrong with the world. He is contacted by Trinity, who tells him that a man named Morpheus has the answers he's looking for. At his day job, he is confronted by agents who try to get him to work with them in locating Morpheus, but he gives them the finger. He refuses. Um, Neo is taken to meet Morpheus and the rest of his crew, where they show Neo the truth. Um, AI machines have been harvesting humans to use them for energy, placing their consciousness into a fake world called the Matrix. Uh, So none of his world was real. Morpheus and his crew are among a group of rebels who are trying to unplug enslaved humans. And Morpheus believes that Neo is, quote unquote, the one uh, prophesied to end the war between humans and machines. Uh, The crew gets double crossed by a member of their crew. Uh, who wants to plug back into the Matrix because he prefers the, you know, ignorance is bliss, prefers that fake reality. Uh, Morpheus is captured by agents who interrogate him, trying to find the access codes to Zion, which is the last safe place the rebelling humans have. Um, Neo and Trinity go to rescue Morpheus, and in the process, Neo they realizes that he is indeed the one because um, he realizes he can do things he didn't know he could do. But at the last minute, he gets shot by the agents, seems to die. Trinity confesses that she loves him. She kisses him. Uh, he revives with newfound power and jumps inside of one of the agents, blasting him apart. Uh, very cool moment. Lots of effects. He sort of, there's, there's new hope in, in Neo. A new hope? A new hope. I literally wrote, "There's hope, new hope in the galaxy." I mean, the underground, (laughs) but I didn't read that part. Then I, but then I did. Okay. Um. So yeah, that's that's basically the Matrix. 
Right. This uh, $63 million film made $465.3 million, and it established the Wachowskis as a writing-directing duo. Mm -hmm. And I would also say that this is... So this is the second film they directed, the third film they've written. Um, and it from there, we had two Matrix sequels, V for Vendetta, Cloud Atlas, Sensei, Jupiter Ascending. There's apparently a fourth Matrix plan for 2021. Oh. Um, right. And this is absolutely an example. I feel like this is an example of why, you know, you as a writer, Gina, I'm sure that you've been advised by people to always have something on the back burner just in case somebody likes something you've written <laughs> and goes, what else do you got? What else do you have? What mm -hmm. else you got? Um, and so in, in the early nineties, they sold a screenplay assassins. Mm -hmm. Now the production company said effectively, what else you got? And because they signed a three picture deal, mm. the first one was Assassins, the second one was Bound, and the third one was The Matrix. Mm. So they sold those all at one time. And then The Matrix, the third film, is uh, is by far their biggest claim mm -hmm. to fame. Yeah. Um, cool. And a fun fact about this movie is that Neo was pitched to Will Smith first. Huh. And their idea for Morpheus was Val Kilmer. I literally oh cannot imagine what? what that would be like. That's yes. Oh, so crazy. The cra wow. even crazier Will Smith turned it down huh. to do Wild Wild West. Really? Well, mm -hmm. well yeah, wow, he knows wow. how to pick them. He knows how to pick them. Um, I mean, yeah, just then, very uh, different movie. Anyways, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh this movie also made in terms of uh people who this film established, Carrie Ann Moss. Yeah. Um, she had been doing a number of bit parts and B rolls, but then this was, you know, her breakthrough. She went on to do Red Planet, Chocolat, uh, and and several other movies. Um, had a bit of a career slowdown, but then she was also um a big part in Jessica Jones. Mm -hmm. Uh also this was this was Hugo Weaving's American breakthrough, but he also followed followed it immediately with Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. And so those by far are his two most known roles and they happen virtually at the same time mm. um and then the people that were in this movie they were already famous you have keanu reeves um been in movies for you know 12 years at this point big ones uh devil's advocate bill and ted point break speed um break point break <laughs> um <laughs> crazy and then you know and he you know he's known as hollywood's biggest introvert and uh mm. he has his own private anonymous cancer foundation oh, wow. because his, because of his sister's struggles with, uh, mm. with cancer. Mm. Um, and then also Lawrence Fishburne was already famous and already an Oscar nominee, uh, as well. And Joe Pantoliano, mm -hmm. um, was already famous. Fun, fun fact about Lawrence Fishburne. First black person to portray Othello in a movie. 1995. Othello. Othello. Oh, Othello. I thought you said. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I was like, what I wasn't do you mean, being pretentious what enough. What do you mean, Othello? Othello. <laughs> um. Wow, that's great. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Say that again. So First. Wait. He was it, so in he played Othello in 1995. Uh huh. And he was the first black person to portray Othello on film. 
Oh, wow. So there had been previous films with a fel- in which the character was not played by a black person. Right. Either wow. it was like Orson Welles or um, Sir Lawrence Olivier. And I even think that maybe that production, that um, the one where uh, Patrick Stewart plays Othello, but they basically do a race reverse where Othello, mm-hmm. where like Othello's white and everyone else is black. I think that had even had a film adaptation because it, obviously it started on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Interesting. Wow. First one. Amazing, yeah. Lawrence. Um, um, things in this yes, movie. Everything. Um, that literally everything. Right. <laughs> so many. I mean, literally, I, I can't even. No. Um, go. I can't even go into everything just because I mean, my first quote is not like this. Right. <laughs> not like this. But that's not even like a big not quote. Not a big like, one. But I use. We, the thing yeah. that it. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Yeah. Like, so basically uh, the concept of bullet time, the film sequencing of uh, bullet time, which is basically being able to like film something to see like the bullet moving right. through the air and also just like the which i consider similar to the trinity kick the neo yeah. fall totally. they're all sort of in their same thing yeah. um the leather look that they all have i feel like it's similar to the look of um the of in pulp fiction that we talked about where like if if people are seen wearing all leather and sunglasses they're mm-hmm. going to be seen it's going to be seen as a tribute to the matrix mm-hmm. um and then something they did also that was cool was like their their use of camera work that where where they were just basically taking picture and video from like 360 degrees and then basically and then working inside like working with those images to recreate and also sort of pick the angles that they wanted led to the creation of universal capture, which is when you can basically use motion capture to film a scene. And then when you have that scene and you layer over the digital world on top of what you've done by motion capture, um, which I think everyone, I think I'm, I think everyone knows what motion capture is, but like when anyone wears the suit that has the balls all over it and then they Mm -hmm. animate something on top of it, that's motion capture. Um, But nowadays they do it where they can then paint an animated world on top of what you've done motion capture for Hmm. and then place a, a camera inside of the world, of the digital world, and then basically film the scenes in that digital world, like they can film the scenes in the normal world um, and like pick the angles they want from that. And that's technology that directly evolved from this movie and uh, how it was sort of furthered in the next two movies. Hmm. Yeah. And then the well, the last one I have is red pilling. Um so red pilling, you know, you take the blue pill or take the red pill. Red pill wakes up to the matrix. Well, red pilling is a is a 4chan and Reddit term for basically awakening people to um or you know, I say awakening in in heavy quotes, indoctrinating people into um fascist white nationalist anti-semitic ideas. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. So yeah, 
that's what, and uh, that's... a million lines and like images you know that are like so referenced all the time in addition oh yeah yeah it, it's yeah. just well that's the thing it's just right. the, the movie is too ubiquitous uh in terms of quotes like i know kung fu or do you think that's air you're breathing now um yeah, yeah. i mean there's so many right there's so many things yeah and the little uh which is funny because Fifth Element came out before, but the little like, it's, okay, this is hard to describe in words, but the, um, when they're like, when Neo and Morpheus are training, you know, the sort of like holding your hand out sort of, uh, with your, you know, like in a fighting stance and then like doing the little, like come hither with your hand outstretched. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and how that oh, like oh, totally. even exists in the fifth element, which is two years before, but like that sort of like motion is. I feel like is pretty ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. So anyways. Um, Yeah. Well, first I just want to say like, this was a huge part of my not only childhood, but adolescence Mm. and adult life. And was it for you as well? Oh, Oh, hundred (laughs) percent. Hundred percent. I, 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 this one, I don't know. I mean, I don't even think I've seen it that many times. It's just, it was something that you saw and was so great that it never really, it doesn't like leave you. I mean, mm-hmm. I wonder if it's what it's, what it was like to see Star Wars mm-hmm. in the seventies. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like it was right. just so striking and innovative. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. All those movements, like all the, all the innovative technology that they had was unbelievable and new. Yeah. I've mm-hmm. seen this movie a bajillion times. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. Let's vote. Ready? All right. Ready? Three, right. Two, two, one. one. I mean, obviously, oh, we have to keep, keep this it. Movie, Holy hell, sure. we have to keep for this sure, movie. For what sure. the hell? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's I just mean, amazing. And it's interesting comparing it to the fifth element, which we'll do later. But mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, I mean, just like the uh, everything we've said about like the incredible innovation of like really using this form uh, and like. Right trying new things with the form of of film that like hadn't been done and like that's just so amazing to see them done so effectively um but i yeah and i mean like the story in terms of like trinity as a character is super badass and like uh there's sort of like and like you know the, the sort of reversal of the classic kind of like a dude kissing the prince like a prince kissing a princess at the end to like revive her or something you know like totally, i just appreciate totally. that kind of like moment um yeah, and there's just so many – one thing – this is maybe a weird place to start. I don't know, but, like, I um, I remember this uh, hearing Julie Taymor when she was talking about The Lion King at some point. She was talking about this notion of, um, like, an elevator of, like, depending on – like, basically, that like, your interpretation as the audience of um, – at that point, she was talking about The Lion King um, – was like something where it's almost like there's an elevator with many floors of like understanding or connection to the thing and you can get off at whichever Mm. floor you want and like enjoy your experience you could get off on the floor of just sort of like oh it's like the disney movie and like that's enjoyable because i'm a kid or like on the floor of like uh appreciating like the the costuming and like the puppetry you know what i mean like all this and then like just for like the visual components of them or like a different floor of like actually seeing the connections to different like cultures you know that were like infused in the costuming and in the the paint Mm -hmm. and everything you know what i mean so like all these different floors 
where each one, whichever one you get off at, is a, a really enjoyable and rich experience. And I feel like that was my experience watching this movie too, because like uh, there's so much like depth of like philosophy woven in and like all Absolutely. these like religious theories and like all these you could every moment almost like every detail has some uh interpretation and like meaning and so like but you also can just like enjoy it for its like thrilling action or like for its fight scenes or right. for like you know the the use of color like what it looks like like there's so many floors you can get off of and all of them are equally enjoyable and i think that's just like so impressive in a movie yeah, I mean, it, and it's also interesting to think about the fact that, like, they as filmmakers do that with The Matrix and really their body of work as well. I mean, they, at the time, they had required reading for all of them. One of them is is the, a book that's featured in, um, it's featured in the beginning where, like, Neo hides his, like, mm. hacks, you know? Yeah, his oh, yeah, hack. I was trying to catch it. Uh, a- a glimpse of that yeah it's called like simu uh simulacrum and simulation or something like that and ba- but mm-hmm. basically the idea of uh simulacrum is that like is there are notions of like symbols that have divorced themselves from reality like basically that you that we as a people have we had reality and then mm-hmm. we started to create symbols for reality things that like you know even things like like money basically is is a a symbol for reality you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um like ten dollars is a symbol for you know an album basically or something like that but then from there we started to create symbols that sim symbolize those things And that it became basically a fourth, a, another, it continued to become extracted to the point where now we live in a society dominated by symbols that have no basis in reality. They're symbols that represent other symbols. Hmm. Um, and, and, and it was just interesting. And so that's why, you know, you know, the matrix is not, you know, it's not reality. It's just a symbol of symbols. And, um, but, so that was sort of where they were coming from originally. However, the Wachowskis are both trans women who they came out as trans after this movie has come out. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's unknown necessarily the degree to which they were investigating their identity at that time or felt comfortable sort of investigating their identity at that time. But But both of them have reflected that they watched the movies and think about how it like now that they're out as trans that they that they work as well as like looking over themes of identity and accepting that you exist beyond the borders of a rigidly defined system mm-hmm. um and, and sort of looking to sort of escape that system for the real world that like there are traces of that there's not even traces that that that, cre- that has a significant um place in their body of work. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, no it's it's super present and and super interesting. Um mm-hmm. yeah, in this movie in particular. I also just like so uh saw like 
it's just so cool to see like all these um like reference points of different styles like like uh you know of like this movie like that the movie at various moments is sort of drawing from noir uh elements and then from steampunk oh, big from time, like big time, big you know time. a kung, kung fu movies and westerns like all these all these influences and just sort of like collecting all of the all of that like in this homage as at the same time is also like use like jumping off of that to create some a new like a new style that just feels very like the matrix style you know mm -hmm. which is just like such a so it feels like the best version of like bar like like uh honoring like your influences and like the things that you love and without like without like just relying on them as a crutch or something and like uh totally. like borrowing that shorthand to like leap forward to something new which is really really very cool i also i noticed i mean like this is just by by making it all about sort of like humans versus machines um i just noticed that like that like uh sexism and racism and like isms and stuff like sort of felt like they weren't part of the vocabulary of the world or at least right. like i didn't didn't like see uh anything that was about like divisiveness between people and like there is something really uh the fact that it's but it's also at the same time not sort of like over like beaten over the head the idea of like but like that essentially to me what it was is sort of like you know we all like the need to be together because like we are all humans i guess like which is a very corny yeah. statement um but yeah but you might even that, say that yeah. you might even say that the red dress program is emphasizing the idea that like that if you if you sink to sort of sexism like mm -hmm. patriarchy sexual objectification that that leaves you prey to being manipulated by the matrix mm, for sure yeah one might yeah. say that for sure yeah which generally speaking is the one of the basis bases for like intersectionality that if mm. you are fail to be intersectional then you basically entrench not only other causes and oppressed peoples but your own mm -hmm. for sure yeah yeah man what a great what a great movie what a great movie <laughs> the only thing the only thing that i struggle with you know because i think both movies that we're going to talk about today are um they show how we're not very good at imagining the future that isn't our present um mm. and like they're this one does the best job i mean mainly because it made the future the present but mm -hmm. and everything that wasn't the present was just totally destroyed and was like a wasteland but it is also like oh these there was this reliance on dial-up internet that i thought was super funny <laughs> like effectively no, totally. their ability the, to transit like, through yeah. the phones implies that it's a it's still a dial-up world um mm -hmm. in the in the future now granted i was like i kept looking for ways of like well maybe that the t maybe the telephone is the metaphor for the system of transport that the machines use and so it's maybe something totally different and more advanced outside of the matrix system but inside of the matrix system it's a telephone but then i was like well that would also mean that it was still whatever dial-up was is the system that they're using i don't know i i kept struggling to to crack it 
other crack the understanding other than just that you know they they use dial up <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's funny cuz it's like yeah we can only uh imagine so far i guess in terms of like they imagine so many things different but it's like the things that are taken for granted like in in all kind of futuristic movies it's it's always funny to see like the like the small i mean it's not a small innovation but like the fact that that we don't rely on dial up anymore um like that one innovation makes that whole element like really noticeable because we're like oh right you were so cuz it's so hard to see like dial up internet was such a amazing innovation at the time too you know so it's sort of like even the the need to imagine something past it was like beyond necessarily probably i mean to me at least beyond like the scope of like something that you would even need to imagine and so it's sort of like totally <laughs> so it's funny now where we're like oh that's so old-fashioned uh uh even though like yeah. so many other things are are so different yeah it's like my dad tells me that he knew somebody in the the 90s that had this like he was a computer guy in like the the dawn of computers. It may have even been the eighties, and he was like, "This computer has more storage than you could ever need in your entire life," <laughs> and it had like, it had like, you know, five twelve megabytes basically. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, sit down, sit down, fool. <laughs> um, right, just wait till you see right. what's coming. Well, um, you know, I feel I feel good. Like, yeah, do you want to, like, do you want to move on to Fifth Element? Yeah, absolutely. I am ready to move on. Yeah, I mean, this um, movie—it's just this movie is so good. Right, that... just, could just keep praising it, you know, in different right. ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I also oh, one thing I noticed, just if I may say, uh, the this is just like a little thing that I was like, oh, I bet that's why they did this, and then like in in doing this for a practical reason it created part of the like aesthetic uh like the visual aesthetic but i was just thinking during all the like especially the huge blowout um like fight scene where they're where neo and trinity are like fighting their way up to save morpheus like that huge huge one um that like they're wearing sunglasses the two of them and then and so like and i was realized like as we were looking as the fight scene started going in slow motion I was like, oh, I bet that they decided to have them wear sunglasses so that we couldn't see how silly they would look in slow-mo while their eyes are like slowly blinking <laughs> and stuff. You know what I mean? And sure, like what a sure. great, a great little like fix that also just like makes it look even cooler, you know? <laughs> um, right. So that was just like a little funny, funny thing. Um, they're also, and just like one more little thing to say, which is like Go there are it. some lines that are repeated like in, in different moments in the movie and like in the beginning trinity to herself uh when she's being chased she like tells herself like get up get up get up trinity get up or whatever and then towards the end when they're saving morpheus they're like get up get up morpheus and just like these little um like just these little flares of like the power of like i really appreciate like the the resilience and like the this not taking for granted the strength that these feats uh require and not just physical but like mental strength and like the power of of people to like find that resilience in themselves i don't know like it was just a really totally. beautiful thing to see where i feel like in a lot of other action movies that aren't so thought out like uh it's just kind of taken for granted that like the hero can can sort of just like get themselves up and do the thing you know what i mean right um, i mean like a fundamental um it's not i guess i wouldn't call it a theme but but like the necessity for mind over matter 
Mm-hmm. You know, like they spend that whole t- I mean, basically Neo's training sequence is figuring out how to like assert mind over matter and mm. in that and get away from the temptation to believe that that there is matter in the matrix. Mm. And so, yeah. you know, the, the I feel like that get up, get up, you know, it, it's also could be related to the fact that like in a very weak or vulnerable or like fearful moment. Mm-hmm. there's like this tendency to believe that like it is real and mm-hmm. it's like, ah, mm-hmm. no, get up, get up. It's not real. It's not real. It's not real. Mm-hmm. Go. Um, yeah, totally. You know, you can totally. break the handcuffs, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Cause they're not real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Dope yeah. movie. What a great Thanks, Wachowskis. ass movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're dope. <laughs> yeah. And it was funny, like choosing the movies. I was like, I just knew we were going to, keep the matrix but like you can't talk about the 90s without like bringing this in to the conversation oh. and there's no problem with like a movie that we're like oh yeah definitely you have to keep this movie but it was just cool to like return to it and still feel like absolutely this movie is incredible right because that is yeah. that is that is not always the case no that's true uh which maybe is a good transition great segue <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, to the fifth element from 1997. Yeah. Um, okay, so here's a little synopsis uh, of the fifth element. Um, okay, so it starts in the early 1900s um, when these aliens, known as called the not known as called the Mandashiwans, arrive at an ancient Egyptian temple to collect the only weapon capable of defeating a great evil that appears every 5,000 years. Uh, the weapon is four stones, which contain the essence of the four elements, and then a fifth element uh, in the form of some kind of living being. Uh, the Mandashi ones promise their human contact, who is a priest from a secret order, that they will return with the weapon when the great evil returns. And so let's jump. Da, 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 da. 300 years later, the great evil appears in space as a giant ball of black fire. Uh, the Mandashi ones' current contact on Earth, who is a priest named Vito Cornelius, explains what's going on to the president uh, of the, what do they call it? President of the Federated Territories. The Federated like Territories, the, yeah. Yeah, which is the U.S. now. Um, but on their way to Earth to deliver the weapon, the Mandashiwans are attacked by uh, aliens who were hired by, it feels weird calling them all aliens, but like they're just like different races that exist on different planets, I guess. So they're kind of aliens. Right. I don't know, um, who were hired by an industrialist named Zorg, who has been directed by the great evil to acquire the stones for it. Um, from the wreckage of the Mandashiwan's ship, though, scientists take some cells and they construct it into a powerful humanoid woman uh, who calls herself Lilu. Terrified of her mm-hmm. unfamiliar surroundings, she breaks out uh, and crashes into the flying taxicab of a man named Corbin Dallas, who is a former major in the Special Forces. Corbin brings Lilu to the priest, Vito Cornelius, where it's discovered that she is the fifth element. Uh, and it turns out the stones were luckily entrusted to an opera singer, so they haven't been discovered yet by Zorg. Um, so the military finds this information out too, and they strong arm Corbin into trying to collect them by traveling undercover as the winner of a contest sponsored by a talk show host named Ruby Rod. Um, but Zorg is also trying to get to the singer so that he can retrieve the stones as well. Big, huge fight breaks out during the opera performance. Uh, Corbin retrieves the stones from inside the opera singer's body. Uh, Lilu gets disenchanted by the violence that she's seen from humans since her whole purpose is to protect life. 
our heroes go to Egypt and set up the stones for the ritual. And at the last moment before the great evil is going to consume the planet, Corbin tells Lilu that he loves her and she releases the divine light uh, and destroys the evil forever, or at least for the next 5,000 years. <laughs> mm. Yes, this this $90 million film, it made $263.9 million. Um, and it won the César mm. for Best Director, Best Cinematography, and Best Production Design. Mm. Um, and yet it was also nominated for a lot of Razzies. Um, so so there Razzie? was, it's, the Raspberries are like shit film awards. Oh. Yeah, so like basically the the community is split as to whether or not this movie was like good or mm -hmm. just like all spectacle. Um, and this was directed by Luc Besson, um, who is part of a film movement known as Cinema du Luc, which is like a sort of French movement that focused on a, of a number of things like highly stylized cinema, even if it meant style over substance. And then, um, you know, focused on themes of marginalized youth, underground societies, and like a cynical view of police, apparently. Um, but then, mm -hmm. yeah. And so he is, he conceived of this movie when he was 16. He started to think of it while like daydreaming and would make little drawings and notes related to it. Uh, this was not his first movie, so he was already famous at this point. Uh, his other big movie prior to this one was Leon the Professional with mm -hmm. Natalie Portman and John Renault that uh, was inspired by his relationship, apparently, with his second wife, who was 15 when they started dating, and he was yeah. 31. Um, he and also has multiple but... rape allegations. Uh, and they what? Oh, no, and, and they married when she was 16 because she was pregnant with their daughter, just to add that as well. Mm. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so this movie had a number of people who were already famous and whom we've already talked about. One of them was uh, Bruce Willis. The other one, who's we talked about a couple times, the other is Ian Holm, who we haven't really talked about since Chariots of Fire. Yeah. But we have spoken of him. Um, this is another thing of the, yeah, people who were also in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it's like another yeah, theme exactly. of this <laughs> Yeah, and then, um, yeah, and then who, someone we've talked about, but was not quite famous yet, was Chris Tucker. So basically, 97 was basically setting up Chris Tucker to be in rush hour to basically establish him as like an entity that could carry a movie. Cause he was in this, he was in money talks. And so like, then from there he goes and boom, next year does rush hour. And then he's a household name. Mm -hmm. um, this also made Mila Jovovich. This movie made Mila Jovovich. She was a supermodel and a favorite of Gianni Versace as well as Prada. Um, and had actually quit your quit acting. She was trying to act before this, had done a few things, Dazed and Confused is one of them. Um, and she had kind of quit, got discouraged, went to Europe, and then like returned basically and got this role. And then it was the movie that made her a huge success. Mm -hmm. Dope. Crazy. Yeah. Um, this movie also has... This movie also has Gary Oldman, who I can't, I kept having the feeling that we had talked about him, but hmm. I don't think that we had. And, you know, he had been in a number of 
he was kind of like he's kind of like Tim Roth. He had been in a number of British things. Um, but I feel like this is likely to be his crossover into mainstream US success. And then he later did um he he did Friends just a, a shortly after this, but I still feel like when Friends came out, he wasn't super known as an entity. Um the TV show? But yeah, don't you remember he was in in season seven? He was in the war movie that Joey was in. So like uh, when they do the annunciation, I don't think and he's I like Oh man. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, I mean, I'm still new he, to friends, but um he's, he was almost he was almost late to officiate Joe he like Yeah, no, I haven't wasn't seen these. drunk, so he okay, almost no spoilers. Oh I'm going to watch god. season 7 now. Oh I'm looking at pictures god. and yeah, no, it doesn't look familiar at all. Okay, anyways, yeah, Gary no. Oldman. Um but yeah, and then, you know, he also is um you know, we shouldn't we won't demonize people for, you know, addiction. But we can if they're a libertarian and also um, is a, a domestic abuser. So that's Gary Oldman, fun. you're talking about? Um, yeah. And an yeah. addict to something? Wait, were you? Well, you know, he is, he is an addict. Okay. Um, but like that's, he's, yeah, you sure. know, he's had problems for um, like for alcohol addiction and, and mm -hmm. drug abuse. But. You know, yeah, no. he's apparently beat them, and also, generally speaking, there's a lot of circumstances that go into that. So someone's not like awful right. because they are a uh, an addict, totally. but uh, apparently, he, his uh, third wife accused him of uh, domestic assault and doing so in front of their children, hmm. which uh, he maintains never took place. Um, but uh yeah so mm -hmm. he 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 is a questionable character mm. um sure yeah you know, and his his allegations um his allegations sort of resurfaced during the like the burst of me too especially because he was nominated for best actor for the darkest hour mm -hmm. but um yeah then you know his his response being that it was a it was convenient to cover her personal vendetta um against him mm -hmm. so yeah he 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 seems uh certain that it didn't happen but uh there are mm -hmm. multiple accusations and he also suffered a dip in his career because people felt like he was an asshole mm -hmm. uh shortly after his friend's appearance so you know not okay. necessarily to be a trusted. <laughs> um, sure. Now I grew like I grew. I feel like this movie was a big uh, TNT movie. Oh, like I it? feel like yeah. I yeah. You know I know that I can't be expected for you know you to validate that, no. but you know that it was a movie that like did very well in cable syndication. You mm -hmm. know so yes, this was a movie that like I definitely grew up with. And like, what about you? Oh, I loved this movie. I love this movie. It's so um, I, it's so hard for me to be impartial and like watch. I was watching it. I was like, oh, uh, but I love this movie. You know, so like, I I just want to put that out there that like this is one of my favorite movies. Um, 
And I don't remember when I first watched it. Like, I feel like it was more because I didn't have cable. Um, but like right. I, had, I saw it, but I like would actively, you know, sought it out um, and watched it a whole bunch throughout. Yeah. Like th- my whole life that I remember, honestly. And like before we had to watch it for this week of the podcast, I'd probably the last last time I'd seen it was probably like six months to a year ago. Like I watched this movie like every year. Um, mm. I really, really loved it. Um, so yeah, so yeah, so I just want to, so that's in the air as we, as we move forward to our decisions. Way to go. Mm -hmm. Way Mm -hmm. to go. And yeah, like, I mean, I think one Mm -hmm. of the, while, while there are some quote unquote references to this movie, like the, the traffic, basically the way that the, like the streets are in terms of the multi-layers of traffic in New York, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are other futuristic stuff that has used that as a as sort of uh, an inspiration for how there might be travel, you know, star Wars episode two is, Mm -hmm. is one of them. Mm -hmm. But uh, I feel like the, one of the biggest things has to be the, the band, the, the, her like outfit, her, Mm. her thermal bandages Mm -hmm. uh, and just sort of the look of Lilu. Yeah. Yeah, You know, lots of people sort of, yeah, like dress up as her or, um, yeah, like yeah. dressing up as Lilu is one of the biggest, most like consistent mm-hmm. references. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, and it's hard for me to tell because like there are so many lines from this movie that like are a part of my everyday life that I just like quote, but I don't know <laughs> if that's if those are normal, if those are like known reference points or if it's just me quoting this movie because I love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I would argue that the opera turned mm. like remixed hip-hop opera is the org is the uh inspiration for julia styles uh second juilliard audition in <laughs> save the last dance oh, where it goes from classical ballet to mm-hmm. uh uh just a hip-hop delight right um, right <laughs> hip-hop so, delight yeah that's yeah, a good yeah so. I, I buy that for sure but uh i can't really find any corroborating <laughs> evidence for that no, but I appreciate that. Yeah. All right, um, we, uh, let's do we, it. Should we vote on this? Let's vote. Film oh, that that you love. I love this film. Let's vote on it. Oy. Great. Okay. All right. One. Three. Two. two three. One. Oh, oh God. No. Oh God. Get rid of this movie. Oh, Holy no. shit. Get rid of this stop fucking it. movie. No, stop it. No, stop. so enthusiastic about that. It was a. It's so it sad. Was a, once like you watch it and then he gets like Bruce Willis gets that phone call and he's no. like, Oh yeah, it's only gotta be you know, I miss my wife. Oh, you're still pining for that two time and slut. And I'm like, know. Wow. We know. Well, this film's gone. <laughs> Just because one I mean, guy is an asshole. People look, people are assholes. So a film including someone of a person being an asshole is right. not grounds to get rid of it. No. But However, the rest- a film that seems to imply that all service workers will be women and that all service work, even in McDonald's, will resort to hooters and strip club level objectification of their female workers, one might say that might be cause. No, trust me. I, I also think that we as we have to get rid of it. I'm probably going to keep watching it, to be totally honest, because I just oh, love this wow. movie. It's so tricky. But, like, I can sure. acknowledge the fact. That's why I'm saying I'm, I. it's so hard for me to be impartial. Um, no, yeah, I hear what you're saying. And it's interesting because as far as that particular part of it, like, uh, there is certainly, like, especially if you're making this movie in, like, the mid-90s, like, 
I could imagine that like the future that could be a critique on the the way that like corporations are going and objectification and like mm-hmm. monetizing you know objectifying women um but like yeah it doesn't it's not a it's not a critique on that it's like partially yeah. a like it, it partially it is but then it's also just like let's also like ogle them together exactly as the audience and like i was trying to to think about the fact that like you know generally speaking it is not true that societies only get more liberal mm-hmm. you know there have been many situations where we have you know been sort of liberalizing and then there has been a collapse and then we've become very puritanical for a long period of time um so it's like it can't be this thing of okay well we're taking steps to reduce sexism now like we see the sort of degendering of of our world mm-hmm. like without without any explanation we just go into a world that is like violently cisgendered you know it it just doesn't it doesn't seem to without without like explanation i feel like i just don't believe it well Um, okay i i mean i want to push back a little bit like i think um like ruby rod and like his little posse like i i think that there is um there is like a fluidity in even just looking at clothing and like the gender, the rigid sort of gender norms of clothes and stuff that I feel like I'm ready for this. Okay, great. Good. Because like, because at the same time, I think like Ruby Rod is an interesting example of this because he is like, uh, he is sort of, I mean, there, he has his own problems, which are the, the like fruits of the fact that there is no question that he is sort of like a, quote unquote like 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 his his sexuality uh is like uh he whatever clothes like whatever presentation of himself that in terms of appearance um Mm -hmm. has no uh like automatic link to his sexuality do you know what i mean where i feel like it would be possible that like he'd be wearing he'd be sort of presenting in a more uh femme way would mean in a lot of movies that like therefore perhaps he is not heterosexual or something but like the problems with him are actually that he is like you know he also is very much objectifying women uh recording them orgasming debatably debatably uh rapes one of them as well um and oh oh, i would i would argue that there's a possibility that you're talking about the flight attendant exactly who is saying not here no no not here like we did we do not Mm -hmm. hear her in any case give any sort of verbal consent Mm -hmm. or even a nod she is exclusively saying no um and then we just see her legs go up and uh down um right which i think is like it's it's like the the idea of it is that like she's saying those things because of like oh my god i'm going to come you know what i mean uh but it's like the way the movie is showing it to us though is like the only language we get from the woman is her saying no like it's the sort of like no means yes which is really really troubling yeah right um, but the the other thing is that we have sort of Gary, we have Gary Oldman's effeminence um, and he is, which is sort of directly linked to his evil in a sort of Jafar kind of style. But then when it comes to Ruby Rod and when it comes to like the, 
that actor, like that famous actor who is like an albino wearing, you know, all lace and stuff. Mm-hmm. When with the, when the battle goes down, mm-hmm. they are still presented as like weak because of their effeminence, afraid, and the film validates above all Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis's like gritty, you know, masculinity that like seems to validate that even if even if you know you can have feminine qualities and not be gay you can't have feminine qualities and be strong maybe i mean but okay but i i think that like if you look at those scenes everyone except for bruce willis because he has a military background like he is the only one like you know with gun like fighting with in this gunfight and it makes sense to me that like nobody else like ruby rock like someone who is a radio personality and someone who is a famous actor is that right what he was uh ray whatever his name was like yeah wouldn't wouldn't, you know wouldn't know what to do in that situation and and at the same time also we see uh you know lilu and then this is tying into my actual like the huge disappointment that i saw in this movie this time which was really really heartbreaking but like Mm. but separate like this is sort of tied but not tied to that like we see at the same time of the fight like she you know she is like kicking ass uh to uh, upstairs uh, in on her own as well so like i don't i mean i i do hear what you're saying um but i also like in terms of the believability of it like it would be super unbelievable if like these those other characters were excellent at fighting and i mean we don't see like the priest they don't have to be excellent the, the, at fighting but, like but the they're priest just like, doesn't yeah. fight like we assume that he's just hiding somewhere probably you know what i mean like uh i don't know yeah i don't know um but my biggest like uh sadness with this movie is realizing that it's using lilu as a uh crutch to pretend that it's showing a badass woman who like uh mm-hmm. is is strong and uh is like the only you know thing we can rely on when in fact right. you know she just keeps needing to be saved and she keeps on being objectified and you know she only and well i appreciate that the key moment you know the, the kiss moment at the end you know it's like there's a version of that where it is sort of like the it hinges on like a man needing to be vulnerable perhaps which is nice but uh, regardless, like she is just like she's supposedly this amazing weapon and like this super, super skilled at every like being. Um, and like, she, yes, she does have one really cool fight scene, um, which and then like, of course, she immediately is like despairing at all this violence, which also makes sense, I guess, in terms of like her programming sort of. Um, but yeah, but she's just always like sort of infantilized and sex sexified at the same time um which was really disappointing to realize yeah if you if you look at any sort of think piece on the trope uh the born sexy yesterday trope Mm -hmm. her picture is almost always the banner photo because i mean this she is emblematic of this uh, occurrence in male-driven cinema of a like excellent woman fighter who is just lost in this world mm-hmm. and so she's like in many cases basically a child but is in an adult body and can be sexualized mm-hmm. and like totally. while there are examples of men in such situations there it never 
contributes to their like sexual desirability and yet with many women in roles like these the idea is that because they're just so lost like that they are more sexually desirable mm -hmm. because they're just they just don't know they just they're just so innocent and wide-eyed and they're basically a child but you don't have to feel like statutes are going to get in the way mm -hmm. of how you feel about most children <laughs> god yeah well not how luke besson feels apparently about right children. he's like i won't uh, let any statutes get in my way yeah god yeah um yeah i know and it's so it's like such a like putting this up against the matrix is so perfect um because like you know trinity being like the uh, equivalent essentially obviously a very different story but like she is like an inc an excellent fighter and like an excellent full human and like is absolutely like key to the success of the operation like you know she has that awesome moment where she like tells neo like i'm the command i'm like the ranking officer and like if you want you're still new and i'm you need me like you know what i mean like i mm -hmm. uh, am a badass fighter and then she is a badass fighter um, and yeah, like it's just, uh, putting them up to it next to each other. You just really see in that such a stark contrast, right. the, you know, and it, it reminds me almost, it's like the, my, the problems that I have with the Bechdel test, you know, make me think about the, this, this trope that often happens in, like you said, in sort of like male mm -hmm. created movies of like, well, we have a woman who like fights you know what i mean and like that being right. like oh that means that it is progressive or it is you know a, a female forward story or whatever um but like it's just kind of trying it's it's just like this ins even more insidious uh because it is like taking pretending to give someone that power and then just like absolutely always right. taking it away from her uh mm. But it's so also, funny. <laughs> this movie's like funny is, and like strange. This movie that are stupid. Cool design. Just yeah. Stupid. But what like, do you mean? The fact that, well, okay. So, uh, Flossed in Paradise mm -hmm. is described as 85 degrees Fahrenheit. So, apparently, in the future, everyone gets off of centigrade and gets back onto the Fahrenheit system. Also, they use miles. So, they're like, they've totally abandoned metric and the future is back on empirical measurements also flossed in paradise has 400 beaches there's there's more beaches on the east coast than apparently in all of this beach planet well they might be huge it, beaches okay perhaps <laughs> or a small it's they, a small planet anyways keep going they also are def define time as uh am and pm so in this intergalactic system of time they're using earth meridians to determine time like there, okay. there's not a new system this, of standardized to me is like, time this, these are like the dial-up problem where i'm like that's not the point of this movie you know like that's it's not trying to be like good science i don't know like it's I just know, trying to, to me, like it's, that's it's just full an of utter lack of imagination but it's just a, it's just about like the shorthand and the shorthand is a problem because there's a lot of like cultural shorthand as well but like, you know, it's like we all know what AM and PM is. Great. Let's keep moving on this story. You know what I mean? Like show green lights well, and red lights in the sky, lighting your way to earth. Yeah, I know what that means. That means go or stop. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think there is now, like a, a kitsch element. While I agree with you, while I agree with you, I feel like the Matrix shows with the exception of of dial up, which as I like with the exception of the use of dial up Internet, mm -hmm. they do a good job of like imagining 
what things might be like. Mm -hmm. You know, just simply the idea that, like, they don't actually know what year it is. You know, and they don't have really any reliance on time because they've totally lost reliance in the sun. Like, there's no reference to time in the actual real world of the Matrix. Um, And so when you see one movie that, like, does take the time to, you know, like, exercise imagination and address, address these questions, and it only came out two years after this previous one, it's like... It's like I uh, yes, yeah. I get that I get that like it's a shorthand, but also like, you know, just just go a little bit longer hand. A little bit yeah, longer hand. I know. I, but I also like I don't know, it's just a different imagine like in the Matrix world, of course, like that is if you follow the line of thought and like the tone of the movie, then like yes, all those all those details are really, really important. And I'm still like I still think we should get rid of the fifth element, sadly, but like I just think that like a lot of those things are uh, like it's imagining potentially this is a future then where like the United States is like completely dominant or something or like they have forced their ideal their like perceptions of measurement onto everybody or or it's just the way you know I don't know like uh, and because it's again it's like to me it's just not those details are not where like those are not there are so sure. many details that are invented in this movie uh, and, like those are just not the ones that they're right. focusing on but yeah Sure. Like for some reason, the beings that are in those crazy suits, uh, when animated without the suit on, somehow look like Lilu. Crazy suits? Which one are you talking about? Those like oh. weird armadillo suits. Right. Well, I think that, yeah. So that I I think my perception of what happened in their reconstruction of Lilu is that they like took her, took the DNA and like turned it like put it into human form. Like kind a humanoid of? reconstruction. Okay. Yeah, perhaps right. because right. you know what I mean. Right. So like that's that's my guess. Um, but they don't explain it. But yeah, but yeah. I I also yeah I mean just to add to the like the there are these all these like brief. There's a world where this could have been a good thing because like again we are imagining uh this intergalactic story and so therefore like uh there is I appreciate I could appreciate the attempt at not making every sort of cultural reference point be like a western european or you know united states reference point but like essentially the brief sketches at like other cultures just become these really uh horrible stereotypes uh like there's yeah there's like you know these uh yeah just like so many i can't even like it's just yeah i mean you you have the the jamaican guy who's like working the landing gear or like working at the Mm -hmm, airport airport and he's Um, like smoking weed yeah, he's got uh, long dreads, and it, I mean, it's it's, it's ridiculous. And then mm-hmm. apparently in Flossed in Paradise, mm-hmm. it's just um, where we put all the Polynesian people, right. because it's just you know they're greeted with lays and, and everyone smiling and playing Hawaiian music and, and so smiling. happy yeah. to see the tourists. Yeah, it, it's right. Crazy. And then like the little flying boat where Corbin gets his Thai food. It's just like you know the the guy who's serving him is just like happily. Like, I don't know, just like this happy sort of servant character. You know what I mean? Right. Um, who's, also, yeah. it's just like they didn't even take a second to address that, like, perhaps in the future, like, we might be slightly more ethnically homogenous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You right. know, There's like, still everyone... all these, like, right, divisions are still super, super Right. Clear. It's like this yeah. person, like, in New York is, like, clearly, like, like, 
based on you know he's basically I'm trying I'm struggling with the way to word this but you have this guy who's you know uh, white white and then you have some people that are like you know as I don't yeah it's just like everyone there's no sort of forming of any new I'm going to get super pretentious to avoid um putting my foot into lava but just say there's no formations of any new like haplo groups there's no like merging of any sort of genetics i mean w there's no way that they have the exact same ethnic delineations 300 years from now that we do now mm -hmm. um, and that was even joked about in a south park episode that like came out shortly after this it's not it's not even a stretch of the imagination mm -hmm. totally sorry i'm just googling haplogroup because i didn't know what that meant <laughs> yeah welcome welcome to the world you know welcome uh, to the world me. of wow wow haplogroups of haplogroups not I just the know. world in general but well no okay thank you so I'm like, i don't know that it's okay i don't know that it's like necessarily common knowledge as a word but i appreciate it's that certainly now. not necessary knowledge it's certainly <laughs> not necessary knowledge well that's not what i go to stephen for i don't go to stephen for necessary right. knowledge of yeah. course not no <laughs> literally zero people go for me go to me for that <laughs> Well, uh, this is oh boy. this is a sad day. This is a sad day for me. But uh, I'm so sorry. You know. Yeah. Yep. Well, you've loved. It's better it's okay. to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. <laughs> that is true. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I gotta read Alrighty, that down. Well, shall we? <laughs> uh, yeah, I made that up. I made. I made. That yeah. Up. No, no, I mean, um, in the context of this, it's pretty great. Um. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's shake this one off and um. Next week we're so we're continuing. We're gonna you can't get rid of the nineties. We're not we're not done with them. We're not nearly we we've really scratched done the with surface. The 90s at all. Next week we're going to the first the films that made uh otherwise what would you call this type of like a oh my god, am I blinking? Like not an auteur, but like a indie director. Indie maybe? Yeah, indie I guess like, like indie famous. darling type deal yeah, that like yeah, yeah. you know that right that that moved into mainstream pretty much. Right. You know, because right. like so at the time they yeah. were right, they weren't right, they weren't yet mainstream. Yes, and these mm -hmm. are kind of the movies that put them, push them into the mainstream. So essentially, we're watching, yeah, Edward Scissorhands and Rushmore will be next week. Right. Just looking at a yeah. little bit of Tim Burton and a little bit, a little of, bit of Wes Anderson. Wes baby. Anderson. Wow, I, my it's brain funny. Goes. I had, I, <laughs> I, my, my brain uh, broke wind on Edward Scissorhands, <laughs> and so I was like, Perfect. I'm just gonna wait until Rushmore, and hopefully she can get that. <laughs> we're a good team. Look at that. Great, great team. Yeah. Um, thanks for listening. Nope. All right. Mm. We are Rock Rising Productions Podcast. Follow them, follow us everywhere. Yeah, like and subscribe and Please. you know, uh, leave us a comment on iTunes. And uh, yeah, stay safe. Stay, stay safe. sane. Stay sane. Yeah. And uh, if you're going to watch a 90s sci fi movie, watch. Can you tell what I'm doing? Yeah, you can tell. This podcast is produced by Rock Rising. Come follow us on Instagram. And if you want to hear more podcasts, visit rockrising.org. Thanks.